Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. going to jump into the sermon in just a moment, but I have a special guest with me this morning. How many of you all know Frank Thomas already? Yeah? Uh, good morning, Freedom Valley. How long have you been going to Freedom Valley, Frank? Uh, 19 years. 19 years. You know we're celebrating our 30th birthday coming up, the 30th anniversary of Freedom Valley in May, and that's two-thirds of that. <laughs> 19 years is a long time. What brought you here originally? Oh, my God, do you really want to know? I, mean, I do. Uh, I, I think I do know, but I want uh, them to know. <laughs> yeah, you know this story. It, it could be a long one, a short one, how long you want me to go. It's totally up to you. Um, 19 years ago, I had a friend. Actually, it was my ex-wife. She invited me to the church on a thing that was called Friends Day. Well, mm-hmm. Friends Day was you, you Pentecostal people, which <laughs> I wasn't one. I wasn't even a Christian. You invited me to her, to her church to check it out. And so... I was like, oh, okay, can't hurt. I mean, right? I mean, going to church can't hurt you, right? So I went. Usually. Well, <laughs> I went and I, it was, church was crazy. You guys, your worship and the message and everything. This is back in the day when they used to run through the aisles with banners. You remember that? Yeah. It was, and I thought, oh my God, what is wrong with these people? But they, you know, they love Jesus so much. They just want to celebrate Mm-hmm. They want to celebrate the Lord. And afterwards, she, she called me. She said, what do you think of my church? And you, you know, when somebody talks to you on the phone, you can lie, right? Because I can't see you. It was back before smartphones. So that's how long ago it was, right? And so she said, what do you think of my church? And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, it was great. But in the back of my mind, I was like, there is no way I'm ever going to that thing again. You know, so. Um, but what happened, and, and, you know, God can heal stuff, right? You guys know that God's a healer, right? Yeah. Um, Greg, you know all about healing. But so what happened was um, November of that year, my son was in college and he was killed in an automobile accident. And I was, you know, I didn't have Christ in my life. And so your dad actually came to my house. I didn't even know who he was. He's like, I'm Jerry Stolzfus. I'm like, I don't care. You know, I, I was so angry at God. We're just angry in general. And I cursed God for about... 15, 20 minutes, and I said, just get out of my house. But I was so messed up. You know, I couldn't function. I couldn't think of anything. And uh, the, the old church that I used to go to, I mean, even though I went to a church and I wasn't a Christian, right? You know, you can still go to church and hang out and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, the pastor never came to my house, nothing. And Jerry didn't even know who I was. And so he came and he, he after about, like I said, I don't know how many minutes it was, and I was cursing at him, and, and this is 3 o'clock in the morning, and he left. And then um, I just started coming here <laughs> as a mess. You know, yeah. who doesn't come to church as a mess, right? Church yeah. is messy, right? Aren't we all a little messy? You know, we're not perfect. We're kind yeah. of a, we're all a work, right? I mean, Absolutely. even Pastor Candace, all you guys are all, Absolutely. we're all trying to figure out what God's doing in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, January of that year, there there was a youth pastor. We've been through so many youth pastors over the years. I don't know how many. I can't even count. Um, and the guy said, I'm going to this place in Armenia. And I was like, I don't even know where that's at. But do, you, do you ever have a feeling that God's called you to something and you're not sure what it is and you just feel this, this draw, this, this thing that you have to go to it? And I was like, I think I'm going to go on this trip. But, I, you know, I wasn't a believer. I didn't know who Christ's role was. And they had these meetings with, with these 
Pentecostal praying in tongues language thing and I was like oh my god what did I get myself into <laughs> it was uh, it was amazing I mean I went and I, I when I speak at churches a lot I tell them you know I think every Christian should do a missions trip amen what about amen. how many yeah. guys have done mission stuff a, a lot of you Candace has been on missions trips. I know Aaron has been to a Dominican with Aaron. And so, I mean, just go check it out. You know, if that's what God's called you to, he's going to meet you there. And yeah. he met me in Armenia. I mean, as a non-Christian, a non-believer, I was the, there was 30 people went on a trip. I always say there was 29 Christians and me, right? You know, the one unbeliever. But God sent an angel to, to speak to me one night. I was, it was amazing. I mean, you know, the Bible talks about how white an angel can be and that's how white this angel was and he spoke to me in, in a dream you know and uh, uh, the next day a pastor from Africa came and spoke the same exact words that that the angel spoke to me it was I was just I, I was in tears and I was crying I, I mean I still wasn't a Christian but I you know God had a call for me and had a plan for me just like each one of you God has something that he's called you to and so I go to Armenia and I speak at churches all the time. I've been going there since then. And, um, and I told the story, like, like we just said, and I said, you know, this guy got up and he spoke these words and the angel spoke the same exact words. And, um, and I said, he said, well, he's not a pastor. He's a prophet from, uh, from Africa. So it makes the story so much better. Amen, right? I mean, isn't that cool? That somebody yeah. prophesied over you that, yeah. Didn't even know who I was. I mean, I'd like to meet him someday and say, "This is what you spoke over me." Do you remember? He probably was like, changed my life forever. Oh my God! You know, and so God gave me a calling. Just like each one of you, God has a He has something for you to do. You know, Jody talked about kids camp. How many kids camps did we do together? A bunch, a lot. right? Yes. But the kids are amazing because yeah. their faith is so powerful and it's yeah. so clean and so beautiful. And you watch these kids; they're like five or six year old, like in love with the Lord and their, their faith is so powerful and so strong and when they pray it's just amazing to watch it just I, you, you know I, kids camp is not my thing you know but I would go just to get you went filled. on enough of them you, huh? you went on enough of them I did I went because the first time I went I, we could talk all day long the first time I went I, somebody invited me to go to kids camp and I was like uh, you know I didn't know what I, God had called me to but I was searching you know, we all are searching to figure out what God called us to. Amen? Right? I mean, that's, that's what God put us here for. He put us here to do something for Him. We each have something that God's to. So I went the first time and I was like, oh my, it was horrible. I was like, <laughs> I'm never going back to that thing ever again. And that next Sunday, I came into uh, church and there was a little kid that was at kids camp and they came up and hugged me. Oh man, it just killed me. I just started crying. <laughs> and you were hooked. <laughs> Frank used to set up all of the water games we played every July. Do you remember that? For years. Uh, yeah, you set yeah. them all up. It took you hours every Wednesday night on July nights. Yeah. Set them all up. You were hooked for a while after that. Oh my God. It, 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 the kids are amazing. You know, it's and it's cool to watch watch their faith. You know, it's so powerful and so strong and so beautiful and you, yeah. you know. Uh, so tell us what your your plan is now. So You've been preparing for this for a long time. Oh my God, you and Aaron were like, you're never leaving, are you? Right? Yeah, we I mean, they, we didn't they've been telling it. me this for 15 years. They're like, you're not going to Armenia. This is never going to happen. <laughs> and so it's uh, finally happening. It is. It's finally. It's finally coming to uh, fruition. Uh, May of this year, we're going. My, my wife's Armenian. I met her five or six years ago in Armenia, and uh, we're going to plant a church there. 
because I'm friends with your dad, and anybody spend any time with him, he's a church planner, and he's like, uh, you, you're called a church or planted church. I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know. But there's a need in Armenia for it's called an international church. So what an international church is is it's an English speaking church. So all these people come from all over the world to come to Armenia. Now Armenia is the first Christian country. Does anybody know where Armenia is? Anybody have any clue? We should have had a map. <laughs> there, everybody's like, where is that? So the, the, Armenia is it's the first Christian country, but it's surrounded by a Muslim world. So there's Turkey, Iran, Azerbaijan, and Georgia, right? So it's right in the middle of a Muslim world. And you know, the Bible talks about uh, harvest field, how ripe the harvest field is. Like your missions field might not be Armenia, but it, your missions field is probably Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Amen. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you need to bring people to Christ. That's what. That's what God gave us. That's each of us. Every one of us has that calling: bring people to Christ. But it just so happens that mine's there. And so, uh, the Iranians, the Iraqis, the Muslims—they want to know who Christ is. You know, we've done baptisms of Iranians and Iraqis, and it has to be done in secret because they can't—they um, can't share their faith. Everything is done underground. I mean, it's. Yeah. But it's a ripe harvest field. And so the pastor there goes to Iran and Iraq and brings these people back because they, they want to know who Christ is. And and that's the point is they speak English mm. and, and they don't speak Armenian. And so uh, that's the plan is to share the gospel and minister to these people and just, just do what God's called you to do. You know, that's my plan. And like I said before, each one of you has something that God's called you to do. Amen. Right? I mean, how awesome everybody, is that? You cannot be sitting in this auditorium and not have something that God's called you to. Yeah. yeah. Every one of you, whether it's kids, whether it's worship, uh, whatever, you know, figure it out. Figure out what God's called you to. There's a plan in your life. You know, He didn't put you here to sit in that pew, He put you in here to do work. I know you talk about serving, mm-hmm. and that's what each, you know, what did Christ come to do? Right? He came to serve. And so if we're supposed to be Christians, we're supposed to be as Christ-like as possible, then we need to serve as well in some kind of capacity. That's what this church is all about, yeah. is serving people. You know, Freedom Valley for years, I, I know I've been here for 19 years, we have put so many people in other churches because we we teach them how to serve, and we teach them, we give them salvation. And I, I think 30 churches in Adams County should just thank Freedom Valley for what <laughs> you've given them. Amen? Yes. Right? I mean, you guys, should, I've Send watched this for years. Yeah. It's, it just—it's just what they do, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, can we send you out? Can we pray over you? Well, of course. Why? Who would? What Christian would not say, "Yeah, pray <laughs> over me"? Uh, of course, bring all the right. kids up and have them pray over me. You know. <laughs> Let's have you come stand down here. Would you all? Some of you come gather around him. Lay your hands on Frank and Miriam. Would you come too? Can we pray over you as well? We're just. We want to send them off. Frank has been such an amazing friend to my family. Over the past 19 years, such a such a servant. He has mowed the lawn around here. He has done kids ministry stuff. He's served in so many different ways. I probably couldn't even name them all. Let's pray as we send him out. Father, we thank you and we praise you for setting a mission in each one of our hearts, for calling each one of us into ministry somewhere, somehow. And God, we just... 
We bless the Thomases right now as they they prepare themselves to head out finally and to be in their mission field, the one that you have called them to. God, we just pray that you would pour your presence over them, that you would surround them with your comfort, with your wisdom, that every single decision they make would be led by you and you would just be in all of it. God, we, we call out the harvest in Armenia through Frank's ministry that, that he would just see so much goodness come from your hand, the salvations and baptisms and, and healings that are, are going to happen through his ministry. God, we send him out. We, we thank you. We bless him and his wife and his ministry in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Can we give them a hand? Thank you for sharing with us this morning. Amen. You got to love that. And Jody sharing about kids ministry this morning. I don't know how many of you know this. If you're new around here, you might not. But I I was a kids pastor here for six years. Uh, Started in 2009 and just absolutely loved it. I thought I would never leave it. Adults are harder, y'all. Kids are easier, right? (laughs) They just have this faith, that childlike faith the Bible talks about. They just sometimes immediately believe and give their hearts to the Lord. And I believe they're the church of today, not just of tomorrow. Amen? It is an amazing thing. Okay, let's jump in to this today. We have been Talking in our Privileges series, this is week number four of Privileges, and we've been really talking about the privileges that we get as members of the kingdom of God, right? But that there are also responsibilities that come along with those privileges. We've talked about money and how to handle our finances and giving into the house of the Lord, the principle of sacrifice in the kingdom of God. But all of these concepts boil down to ultimately is do you trust God or don't you right do you trust him and his way or don't you and the last concept that we're going to cover in the series on the surface might not sound like it's quite in the realm of relevance here but I promise it is and that is rest rest in the kingdom of God is another very important and often overlooked discipline. Something that not only is a privilege, but God has called us to do. In our American culture, we find this to be a little off-putting, maybe. We squirm a little bit at the concept of rest because we have this deep within our culture built into us, this work hard, pull yourself up from the bootstraps like the grind, the hashtag girl boss, boss culture, right? Like we, we want to be working hard. We want to be productive or else we're seen as lazy. Ask anybody probably on your way out of church today, how you been? What are they going to say? Busy, man, right? We're all busy. It's a badge of honor to be busy. Just imagine for me, one day every week where you're literally pressured by everyone around you, to rest. Imagine a day where it's not normal to be working. You're pressured to to sleep in, to literally not do anything. A day where there are literally laws about stores being open. 
Everybody flips out about Chick-fil-A being closed on Sunday. Can you imagine? Walmart, Target. <laughs> imagine all of them being closed. Imagine a weekday in the summer where there are no distant lawnmower sounds. Like no smells, cookout smells wafting over from the neighbor's house. Right? It's, it's quiet. There are no honey-do lists being completed or house projects. No one coming and going. A day where no one ever gets married, so no weddings to go to. No parties, no baby showers. Computers aren't even opened on this day because you can't type anything. That's considered work. No writing, so no new posts on Instagram or Facebook to catch up on. Right? A day where there's no cooking at all. If, it, if, if you want hot food on this day, you better have put it in the crock pot the night before. Right? And no laundry, nothing to be... Can you imagine a day like this? Okay, I, it's not even... I can't even understand it in my American mindset. It doesn't make sense. I actually can't imagine a day like that. Well, most of you know we've had a pretty busy month. We have three bonus kids in our house and appointment after appointment and phone call after phone call and meetings and all kinds of different people to coordinate with. And it's been good, just super busy. Big adjustment to our family. And so last Sunday night, I plopped myself down on the couch and I looked at Aaron and I said, when I tell you I am doing nothing tomorrow, I mean nothing. Nothing, okay? And he's like, yeah, okay, I wasn't gonna... I, like I was threatening him or something. He's like, I wasn't going to ask. Um, I said nothing tomorrow. I could just feel it in my bones. If I didn't get a good day of rest, I was, something wasn't going to be good. I was me- going to melt down or something. And so I made that decision. And then I got up the next morning at 6.30 and I put the kids on the bus for the next hour and a half. And I made mil- meals and I probably ran an errand. I don't remember. I definitely typed some stuff. You know, maybe I relaxed on the couch most of the day. I took some little naps. Don't get me wrong. It was restful. But by the standards that I just laid out for you, I did not. Like, it wasn't nearly that severe, right? I cooked, I cleaned, I still did some stuff. And and as I'm, I'm sitting down to study the Sabbath, like the Jewish Sabbath this week, and I was thinking back over my own day off, there was a huge discrepancy. Huge. But that's how Jews lived for millennia and continue to live to this day. There's actually a link in your sermon notes uh, that describes how a Jewish family should live on the Sabbath day, or rather what they should avoid on the Sabbath. I've affectionately called it the to-don't list. Do you want to see all of the things that are outlawed? Can we put up that list real quick? I kept having to add columns because they were... too many. You're not allowed to carry or burn or extinguish. Is that even a, how is that even a category? You're not allowed to finish anything or write anything or race? Racing? What is that even on? Cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, selecting, sifting, grinding, kneading, combing, can't comb your hair on the Sabbath. Spinning, dyeing, chain stitching, warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, shearing, slaughtering, scanning, tanning, smoothing, marking. There are 39 categories of things you are not allowed to do on the Jewish Sabbath day. This is taken from a content like a, a today website, a Jewish Orthodox website. Can you imagine a day like this? 
I can't select anything from the freezer to throw in the oven. I can't, right? There, I can't extinguish anything. What is that? I was just over, as I began really studying this, I was overwhelmed. How would one even begin to be obedient to this? You know, we once stayed with a Jewish family. Uh, they had to have their neighbors flick on their light switch. On, so they couldn't even turn lights on and off on their Sabbath day. I mean, it, it's severe. 39 cat, and these are just the categories. There are subcategories under these. Each one of these has its, its own specifics. To my American ears, it sounds extreme and complicated. I don't know if I could even live up to that ever. Is that what rest is supposed to be? Is that the meaning of a Sabbath day? And we're going to trace this concept back in biblical history today to find out. We have to start at the beginning. So Genesis 2 is where we first see, and when I say in the beginning, I mean in the beginning is where this concept first shows up, the concept of a Sabbath day. Genesis 2 verse 1 says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. God had just created everything with a word. He spoke it, and it was there. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God rested on the seventh day. And the seventh day is a concept in Scripture that it means wholeness, completeness, perfection. And this is why. Resting for God wasn't about being tired or weary. Does God get tired or weary? No. It didn't, creating the world didn't take a toll on him. Okay, He simply rested because the work was complete, perfect, whole. There was nothing to be added to it or taken from it. It was done, completed. Nothing more to be done, nothing to be redone. It was good and right and finished. That is then the world that he handed to humans. He allowed us to exist in this beautiful rest state. It was perfection. There was no soil to be tilled, no orchard to maintain, right? It just flowed in harmony. The, the earth yielded exactly what humans needed. And when we had each other and it was good, in the beginning, but we messed it up. My sin messed it up. Instead of the earth yielding what we needed, we were now going to have to work for it, toil in it. The ground became cursed with thorns and thistles, and we had to work for our food. Day after day, we worked it years and years and years and years. Okay, fast forward to Exodus 20. Of the Ten Commandments given to Moses for the Israelites, the fourth has the most detailed description. Of all the commandments, the fourth has the most detailed description. Let's read it together, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh, 
day he rested. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Here we are in this post-fall world, and I mean post-sin world, in a world with sin now totally populated by humans. God was setting up a new governance, one that hadn't been seen before in all of humanity. He had freed his people from Egypt and was now setting them up with a governance system, a governance run by him. God would be their king, and it couldn't go back to being like the Garden of Eden with the presence of sin in the world. There was still sin in the hearts of man, but it also wasn't going to be a world where God was a harsh slave driver, like the other gods of that day who made them work for every single blessing they got or didn't get. God wasn't going to be a harsh slave driver. God was going to restore his people to himself. He was going to comfort them and provide for them and give them rest. He would be their God and they would be his people and rest was a big part of that. It was important to the heart of God. So important. It's one of the Ten Commandments and it's the most detailed one. It's important to him. It's a big part of living in his kingdom. And this concept is actually pretty unique to the Jewish faith and everything that stems from in Christianity. Religions that come from Israel. A couple other religions had something similar, but in my research I couldn't find one quite like Israel's Sabbath. Every seven days, rest. Every seven days, rest. Thank God. Enjoy his creation. It's just not like that anywhere else. Our good God gives us rest. It is a gift from him, and he commanded us to keep it holy. To honor the Sabbath means to keep it holy, and holy means set apart. It should be different. Their their Sabbath was to look different than any other day of the week. A day of rest dedicated to the Lord. A day to sit back and appreciate the world that he has given us. A day to remember what he's done for us. A day to remember that he is in control, not us. Yes, there will be things that need doing. Right There there will be to-do lists and honey-do lists and mouths to feed and all of that, but... Are you the one in control of any of that? Are you the one in control of your blessings? Whether whether the rain comes that year or not. Are you in control of, of the bad things either? Can you control whether the pests come and eat your crop? This is actually what the word says. Can you control any of that? Can we control whether all of our hard work goes to waste? Yes, we work hard, right? But can we control what happens with it from there? By giving up a day of work, God was both gifting and teaching. He was giving a day to rest as a blessing, but he was also teaching trust and reliance on him. We know well in our culture that it takes some discipline not to work sometimes. Work needs us. Work calls us. Work can't go on without us. Right? Now it's just me. Y'all are looking at me like, it's not me, Candace. But are we really in control anyway? The, the Sabbath reminds us who is in control. Taking a day to rest and rest and reflect on what the Lord has done, so healthy. It's the way God set up our bodies to work. It's the way he ordered other things in our world too. And just like the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week under Mosaic law, there was also something called a sabbatical year. 
which is every seventh year. And after the people moved into the promised land, God said, okay, every seventh year is to be a year of rest for the land as well as for the people. Leviticus 25 verse 6 explains, but you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during the Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and the wild animals in your land will also be allowed to eat whatever the land produces, meaning you could eat what was naturally provided from the land, but nothing more. Couldn't plant, right? You couldn't harvest just what came up. Leviticus 25, verse 20, anticipates the people's question a little bit, right? But you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we're not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year. So the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. When you plant your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you'll still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. In other words, the Israelites had no reason to worry. God was going to take care of them. He promised to take care of them if they would only trust him. There's actually a lot more to a sabbatical year that we don't have time to get into today. If you want to read about it, there's a link in your sermon notes for that too. But sabbatical years, they are still important, especially for those in ministry. Jesus likened ministry to a field or to farming throughout his parables and his teachings. He said the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, right? He talked about sowing seeds in rich soil, rocky soil, bad soil. Ministers, just like farmers, are always working. Always. Always tilling the soil, planting, raising up crops, harvesting, and then you repeat. Right? It's again and again and again and again. And I believe, just like the soil needs to rest every, about every seven years, a minister needs a little extra rest too. And I say all this to say, this, I'm putting an announcement right in the middle of this sermon. Um, this is actually a sabbatical year for Aaron and I. 2022 is my 14th year of full-time ministry here at Freedom Valley. I was a kids pastor, like I said, for six years. I was executive pastor for a few and then lead pastor. And I can tell you, rest is necessary. It's necessary. It's funny how it comes just when you need it. Like, I can feel God set up our bodies to work in these rhythms. He's got rhythms of grace and rhythms of rest, like... Like, wow, God knew what I was going to need even before I knew it. Because right about that seventh year, this is my second sabbatical year. um, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want you to feel like a burden. (laughs) Because you're not. But it's right about this year that ministry begins to feel like a trap somehow. Like this cage. Like most of the time it's more, it's what I want to do all of the, like most in life. It's, it's my passion. It's what I wake up in the morning for, right? But, but seventh year, man. And it's been COVID, right? And it's been, uh, uh, Aaron had kidney failure before. Like we've had a, a weird seven years. <laughs> well, right about this time when your passion starts to feel like your prison. When you're not rested, your passion does begin to feel like a prison. When when you don't take time to honor God with it, you realize this is overwhelming when I'm trying to do it all by myself. 
when I'm not letting God, like Jesus, take the wheel, right? I'm, I'm, I'm holding it all to myself, and it starts to feel like this thing that's so much bigger than me, because after all, it is so much bigger than just me, but I feel it on that seventh year. As I, I really began planning this time off this year, I just keep getting reminded over and over again just how tightly I hold some things like that aren't mine to hold. The Freedom Valley is not my church. After all, it's not Aaron's church. It's not my dad's church who planted it 30 years ago, right? It's, it's Jesus's church. It's his. It's not mine. And he's going to take care of it. He cares about it more than I do, actually. Novel idea. Hey, you all are the church, not just consumers of what I create, but creators too. I can trust you with it. I can't, can't I? Okay, there was crickets, so I can trust you with it. You're the church, not me. It's something my dad built into the work culture around here a long time ago, and I believe it's a necessary policy. It's essential that you take it easy on this year. I think he's watching right now from Africa. If, he's, if you can comment dad i think he's he's on a missions trip right now and watching <laughs> but he did he, he built it into the culture and it's so important it's actually you take three times the amount of vacation you would in a normal year on your your sabbatical year and you take it seriously and so this year there will be three months throughout the year we sprinkled it throughout that aaron and i won't be here 12 weeks to be exact, maybe not 12 sundays but 12 weeks of vacation 12 weeks to unplug and stop Pushing and pulling and leading and sowing and reaping and writing and studying and working in my head even before my eyes open in the morning and long after I shut them at night. <laughs> I had 12 weeks to just enjoy the goodness of the Lord and everything he has provided for me. And every time he's wrapped his arms around me and, and when people have abandoned us or lied about us or betrayed us. And 12 weeks to just exist in his presence, to let him heal from the past and to give vision for the future. 12, 12 weeks to read the Bible for myself and not for you all, right? Not to just regurgitate it, but to let it sink into my soul. 12 weeks to just be. And I'm telling you right now, if you love your pastors at all, if you love your church at all, you will support this and you'll support us through it. It's not just me saying it, right? Because I have seen way too many pastors, good, well-meaning, well-educated people quit from burnout. Too many pastors try to medicate away the pain and the pressure of leadership with alcohol or some hidden thing and it ends up ruining them because they just couldn't trust God enough to take the rest that was prescribed for them by the word itself. Bad things happen when you're not rested. We are much more likely to make a bad choice when we're not rested. Carrie Newhoff always says that sleep is a superpower. It is the secret weapon of a leader. Discipline yourself to get sleep, to get the rest that you need, and you'll be much more productive and faithful and creative, receptive to the Holy Spirit in the long run. We make all kind of dumb decisions, dumb decisions when we're not rested, just the dumbest, right? We think it's coffee that we need, but maybe it's just more sleep. 
Maybe you just need to turn off Netflix an hour earlier and go to bed, right? Coffee is not the uh, coffee is sometimes the answer, but it's not always the answer. But God is a productive God. Productivity in this world, it's important to him. It's who he is. He is a productive God. But productivity for us, the way he set us up to work, it requires rest. The ground needs to rest. The farmer needs to rest. Do you know, I discovered this week when I was looking at this, there are even some plants that take a sabbatical year. My grandma and mom go visit this hillside of daffodils every year is where my grandma grew up and her family still owns it and they went this year and they sent me a picture and they were like sorry there's not as many this year and I was like oh why not thinking it was the weather or something and they're like it's probably their sabbatical year like wait what (laughs) daffodils take a sabbatical (laughs) crazy right God has ordered the world to work in rhythms Productivity requires rhythms of rest. And so anyway, to get back to the announcement portion, Freedom Valley's 30th birthday party is on the first Sunday in May. It's actually the first day of May. My dad planted this church 30 years ago, and you may not see us again until the last Sunday in May. (laughs) Taking a break. Right? Don't get me wrong, we'll still be around. My kids will still be at youth group most of the time. And, you know, you, you, we can't go away for the whole month of May with kids and whatever. But I won't be here at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings for a while because I have been here at 7 a.m. on Sunday mornings for 14 years except for, like, four Sundays a year without fail. <laughs> okay? Taking a, a little break. We'll take another one in July and another one in the fall. And can I just be real honest with you? It feels vulnerable. <laughs> I struggle with this a lot. It feels very vulnerable and honestly, a little unreasonable of God to ask me to take off extra. (laughs) I'm just, this is honest. To leave that thing that you feel like you've poured your whole life into for 14 years, right? I, I leave it up to others for four weeks straight feels like a lot. Like, like when I have to not be here on a Sunday morning when this happened to my face, do you all remember a month or two, two months ago, has it been? I, I couldn't be here on a Sunday morning and I was antsy all morning. I was nervous. I was watching the cameras and I do not just mean live stream. I was on the security cameras, y'all, sitting at home, texting my staff what to do <laughs> based on what I saw on the cameras. <laughs> right, real creepy. Uh, that's what, it's tough for me to let it go. But this is what trusting God actually looks like. Being disciplined enough to take the break that you need now so that you can last for the long run. Knowing that it is God's church, not mine, that it is ultimately his responsibility, his calling, his ministry, not mine, and he will take care of it. He will provide for it because he is enough. Amen? He's enough. I'm not the savior after all. Jesus is. Fast forward to Jesus' time. We've got to trace this through history. By the time that Jesus came to earth, the Sabbath was being used all wrong. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law were so strict about the Sabbath that they had made up all kinds of other laws around it. They thought the Bible isn't enough. The, the word of God, the commandments aren't enough. We need to make some extra fences. There's a danger to adding extra fences around the word of God and then applying them to other people, right? 
all kinds of extra laws. They added to the law of God as if they could improve upon something the God of heaven and earth said. To this day, Jewish Orthodox and the Jewish Orthodox religion, those 39 categories of laws about Jewish rest on the Sabbath, they still try to obey every single one of them. This was the kind of thing Jesus was up against in his day. He saw people treat the day that was supposed to be a gift from the Lord like a prison sentence. Worse than a prison sentence, really. They had to do it every single week, and they got thrown in prison if they didn't do it correctly. It was serious. Jesus came and disrupted a lot of those sabbatical Sabbath laws. He started his ministry on a Sabbath, for example. He healed people, fed people on the Sabbath. He instructed his disciples to harvest on the Sabbath to feed themselves. Pharisees had all kinds of problems with him about the Sabbath. How did he reconcile that? Right? Jesus was a Jew, after all. How could, he knew all the laws. He practically grew up at the feet of the rabbis in the temple. He knew them, just didn't believe in them. He believed in the spirit of it, but not those 39 categories, right? Matthew 12, 8 says, For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus said, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. Don't you think I know how to, how to observe it properly? I was there when it was created after all, right? The Pharisees were so concerned about the rules Jesus was breaking on the Sabbath that they completely forgot about people. They missed the entire point of resting and saw it as just another rule to follow. They didn't see that it was for their benefit. In reality, it was a gift from God for them to participate in. God gave them an entire day to rest and enjoy the world that he created. They didn't care. They saw it more as rules. The Sabbath is about not working. The original law we read today, it doesn't mention anything about not helping people. Right? It didn't say anything about not healing people or not doing good in other people's lives. Jesus was trying to confront the fact that the Pharisees seemed to consistently put their faith in rules, not in the God who made the rules. In religion, not their provider. In the what, not the why behind it. Everything Jesus did and taught was about the why behind the law. In fact, he, he was the perfect fulfillment of the law. He, he didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it, to give it meaning and purpose again. In fact, he deepened most of the laws. Didn't do away with them. Right? And so today, after tracing this through the Bible as quickly as I could, what do we do with the Sabbath? What is it meant to look like for Christians today? Is it just a matter of following the rules? Do we have to, to memorize these 39 categories? Or what does it look like? What should it look like? I believe God places a high priority on rest because he knows us. He created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. We are immortal beings in mortal bodies. Bodies that break down and age over time. Bodies that were created for the perfect rhythms of rest that our generous and loving God provides. He maketh me lie down in green pastures, right? Leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. 
He is the provider of that rest. And so number one, our Sabbath, our Sabbath today as Christians should look different than other days of the week. Does it have to look like, you know, not extinguishing and, and winnowing and turning on light switches? Not necessarily. Do, do we have to refrain from carrying and cooking and yard work? Not necessarily. I think a lot of those rules took this way too far. Now, if your day job is cooking, yeah, maybe on your Sabbath, cooking isn't for you. Right? If your day job is landscaping, maybe avoid yard work on your day off, right? But it should look different. It's set apart. It is holy. It should look different than the rest of your week. Right? Mine day job is a lot of sitting in front of a computer and, and reading things, right? Typing things. On a warm spring day, the thing that will restore my soul is getting out in the garden and getting my hands dirty a little bit and being in the sun. That's a Sabbath day. It's different than every other day of the week. In the winter, I like to cook a lot. <laughs> it makes me feel productive, and yet it's a different work than I usually am doing throughout the week. Like that week between Christmas and New Year's, y'all know what I'm talking about? It feels like the world stops for a little bit. My favorite week, almost of the whole year. It's like a bonus week off for us as a church staff because the fall and December is so busy. And so I just like, I like to plan out the special food that I make and like hibernate in my house for a week. I think I told my staff this year, I don't want to see any of your faces Monday through Friday. I'm going to hide in my house, <laughs> right? That was that, that Sabbath idea, different than any other week of the year. I just want to rest. And that was restful to me in that particular season. The Sabbath is meant to look different than the rest. It is set apart from daily, busy, productive life. If you haven't been taking it, plan one. God's not mad at you for not keeping the Sabbath. It's not for him. It's for you. However, it does communicate something to God, whether you take one or not. Right? Our Sabbath should honor him. It should honor him. Let's see, if, if you feel like you have to keep pushing and working and grinding and moving forward and constantly thinking and planning and mapping everything out every day of the week or you're not going to make it, right? Like things can't run without you for one day. Your trust is in you, not in God. And just like with tithing, if you feel like you need all of 100% that God gives you, you couldn't possibly live off just 90% and God is being so harsh by telling you you can you may not actually trust him at all. With not taking a Sabbath day, one day of rest out of seven, you're telling God you don't believe in his way. You don't believe that he is the source of your success. You are. And he'll let you go on like that for a while. Work yourself to the bone. Because at some point, your body is going to punish you. And he won't have to lift a finger. At some point, when it's least convenient, usually, your body will say enough is enough. Your immune system will fail, you'll get sick, you will make up for all those missed Sabbath days all in one shot, and it'll be at the most inconvenient time. Right? The unfortunate secret there is, sometimes it's permanent. Sometimes people never recover from whatever it was that took them out. I'm not saying all sickness and all ailments and heart attacks and whatever, things of that nature, they're not all caused by not taking Sabbath days, but absolutely it is the case sometimes. 
we can work ourselves to death. We can work ourselves right into permanent sickness. God knows us better than we know ourselves. We can trust him with that seventh day. The, the Sabbath wasn't meant to be a selfish day, though. Our Sabbath isn't an excuse to be selfish, is number three. Jesus added a new level to this, like with most of the laws of the Jews. He not only did away with it, he deepened it too. What I mean by that is he not only said, you shouldn't commit adultery, right? But he, he said, if you even look at another woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery, right? Deepened it. He said, not only should you not cheat people, he said, if you're asked for something, give them the coat off your back too, deepened it. He said, not only should you not steal, but if your right hand causes you to steal, chop it off. That's severe. But he deepened it. He not only said, you should be humble, but he said, the last shall be first. The first shall be last. Right? He deepened all these things while doing away with the stuff that didn't matter. He said it was all about the heart, not necessarily the external actions. Not how much money you put in the offering plate, but that you did it with a pure and sincere heart. A cheerful giver. Obedience flows from the heart. So he deepened the idea of the Sabbath as well. The Pharisees threw a fit when Jesus helped others on the Sabbath. They missed the entire point. The Sabbath isn't an excuse to ignore evil and cruelty in the world or to inflict it yourself. The Sabbath is a day to be dedicated to the Lord. It's a day of mercy, giving back, of being compassionate. It's a day to remind you that you are not in control. You are not owed anything, but God is the giver of everything. It's not a day to lord anything over another human but a day to love them, appreciate them, and appreciate the things God has given you. And ultimately, number four, the Sabbath points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. As with everything throughout the word, you can trace Jesus back through every page of the Old Testament. It points to Jesus, and it was always supposed to point to him. The, the one promise through all of Israel's prophets, the one who would restore the rhythms of creation. When, when followers of Jesus observed the Sabbath, we live as if this restoration has already taken place. God is our provider, and so we can take off. Jesus restored that relationship between us and God. It is a gift. We live as if the promises of God are already true, even when we can't see them. We live as if we are the kingdom of God here and now, not just there and then someday in heaven far away. We live within his promises already because of Jesus. For the Pharisees, the Ten Commandments provided great restrictions punishable by death. For Jesus, the way that he saw the commandments from his heavenly father, the way he saw the law, it, it outlined great freedoms, not restrictions, that weren't punishable by death, but that led to real life. He saw them as, as freedoms that led to real life. He came to give us life and life abundantly to show us that we truly can live in freedom if we just trust in his heavenly father. Hey, Easter is coming, right? a couple days away, uh, weeks, two weeks away. And 
just two short weeks, we're gonna celebrate what Jesus did for us on that cross, but also the fact that he laid down his life on a Friday, rested on the Sabbath day, and then rose again to new life on a Sunday. And not just new life for himself, but for us too. And our children and our children's children that we get to live in Sabbath rest and his holy presence each and every day of the week that Jesus is our rest and our salvation, that he is the giver of life and life abundantly. Look, this whole series is about the fact that God is enough. He's enough. Most of us walk around each and every day acting as if we can't possibly get by. Life is is overwhelming and, and hard and it's beating us up all the time. Jesus is enough. If he never does another thing for me, he did enough on that cross. He is enough. His principles, the the rules he seemed to set down aren't rules that, that are trying to make my life harder. They're meant to help me live in freedom. Freedom from the selfishness and the way the world is ordered, the way that sin has corrupted the world to be ordered. I can now live in his kingdom, even though I'm still feet planted on planet earth. I get to live free. It's about the fact that God is enough, that he will provide, that he is our source and he knows what's best for me. He's not a harsh slave driver. He's a good God. And it's such a privilege to serve him. My life is not my own anymore. When I gave my life to Jesus, he paid for it. He paid for it. He purchased it with his own blood. He ransomed it. It's not my life anyway. It is his. I'm going to do what he's calling me to do for the rest of my life to the best of my ability because it was never my own life anyway. When he calls me to rest, I will rest. When he tells me to lie down in green pastures to rest beside quiet waters, I'm going to trust that he's got this, that he knows better than I do. It is a privilege to live in the kingdom of God. Amen. God, each and every one of us have probably made some decisions during this series. I've spoken to so many who've made a decision to start tithing or or to give over and above their tithes or to honor the house of the Lord, to find a way to serve it, to sacrifice in his kingdom. God, right now I just pray that you would move hearts, that we would not just be going through the motions, that we would not just be looking for actions to change, to sort of twist God's arm, to manipulate him into blessing us more, to to doing what we want him to do. But God, that you would truly move our hearts to be obedient. You would break our hearts for what breaks yours, that you would help us see the world as you see it be able to live in the kingdom of God even though we are still here on planet earth that it is both here and now and there and then we can live within the promises of our heavenly father today I thank you for setting up 
guidelines, rules for us, for giving us some fences, like what is dangerous in this world? Thank you for setting us free, giving us freedom and hope. It is a privilege to serve you. It's a privilege to live within your promises. God, help us truly see your kingdom that way. Each and every one of us would be able to carry your kingdom with us everywhere we go every day, that that people would look at our lives and begin to notice things are, are changing. Things are, you're blessed, you're happier. What's going on with you? Give us opportunities to share the gospel, to to make our lives look different because we live in your way, not the world's way. Give us opportunities to share the gospel with our world. Heads bowed and eyes closed today. Here at the end of a a long series, a tough series, a series where we've had to make some decisions, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. You're not raising your hand for me but just as a way to signal, I'm in, I'm doing this. God, you see my hand, I'm making a decision, right? And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you made a decision throughout the series that I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give 10% to the house of God, to my storehouse, where God's mission is accomplished, where his people serve each other, where they encourage each other, or we can bring people in. If that's you and you made that decision, I will tithe. Would you just raise your hand just as a way to say, I made a decision. Awesome. You can put those down. Maybe for you, it was just an I will give more. And God's nudging me that I can do more. I can serve more. I can give over and above my tithes. I can give more of my time or my energy or my talents. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I, I will give more. God's urging me to be generous good. Thank you. You can put those down. But maybe you made a decision today. I will take a day of rest. I will take a Sabbath day seriously. I will trust God. I can take a break. I can take care of my body, of the abilities God has blessed me with. I will honor the Lord with my Sabbath day. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? Made a decision about a day off awesome. You can put those down. And finally, if you've made a decision today or lately to live your life for Jesus, you want to give your life to Jesus. Maybe it's been a while that you've made this decision. You haven't been living for him. You haven't been doing things his way. But today you want to repent or or maybe you've You've never made this decision before. Your heart's pounding right now and you feel the Holy Spirit on you. Right? God is nudging you. Telling you, come on, that stuff's not worth it anyway. Those those things you're leaving behind are are there to, to trap you anyway. Give them up and come serve me. There is freedom. There is hope. There is purpose and calling in a life lived for Jesus. He wants to love you, give to you, to serve you, encourage your heart. He wants to comfort you and give you rest. If that's you today and and you're sitting here in this room, would you just raise your hand? You want to give your life to Jesus. I'm in. 
come into this life. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. We'd love to help you with that decision. I'm in to following Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you for every single hand raised, for every single decision made. God, thank you for not leaving us where we are, that you love us where we are, but you don't leave us there. Call us into more. God, I call out gifts and talents within this body right now. Call out businesses within this body right now that you would bless your people, your generous, cheerfully giving people with good things. God, call out the generosity in them that we wouldn't hoard those good things to ourselves, but we would use them to bless the church, to bless your people, to bless the world. God, we call them out. We thank you for them. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Let us leave from here truly seeing the kingdom of God as a privilege to live for. Help us keep our responsibilities there too. Thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 